0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create those products that customers love. And this interview is about making better use of our time as product managers, and it's with John Cutler, product evangelist at Amplitude. And for the sake of time, let's get right into the interview. But first, I have to remind you if you want to find the summary of the discussion, share that with anyone. Those notes are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 245. Let's talk about time. John, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators.
2: Yeah, great to be here.
1: So I am very interested in talking about time management, which is a topic you've written about some, and you have good experience to speak to this because your background is in product management, you've done some UX work, and now your title is a product evangelist. And I was just curious about something that you love about product management right what, what drew you to it? What's something that you love
2: you know i i I like product management taking one step up. I think that that the, the cross functional nature of product development in general is what I really like so I spent my twenties playing music and traveling and and touring and and playing in bands and just being with kind of just a group like a crew yeah, awesome of people and so I think. I've been asking myself this question a lot lately. And I, you know, what, what is this? It's kind of a sadistic thing. Product development is kind of sadistic. It's really, really hard. But, but I think that what I do love about it is just being with a group of kind of creative driven people
1: mm-hmm. and, and,
2: and then making something. And and it, it would be great if you even just stop there, but like with music, you want someone to listen to it. Right. So, you know, having people use the right. thing and then give you feedback, there's something that's, um, Really rewarding about that. In, in my current role, I help lots of teams doing it, so it's a little bit meta. But it's like I'm coaching teams to be hopefully more more effective at what they're doing, and that, that that's going to trickle down to everyone out there. So, mm-hmm. so it's interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, it's an aspect of the role that I, makes it very unique in the organization because I think product managers have more insights in how the company actually works than anyone else because we're at the intersection of everything, right? And we kind of feel that tension too at times. It's both rewarding and a little bit alarming at times.
2: Oh, I joke that that product managers are like the canary in the coal mine, <laughs> basically. Yeah. You know, so they they really and and you know, it might have even been why lately I kind of shifted a little bit more into the coaching thing. Like I I actually found that I was so impacted by being the kind of sensing mechanism right there in the middle of the organization mm-hmm. that. That it, it was getting to be a little unhealthy, mm-hmm. and so you know, I tried to think to myself like, well, how could I help people, but then use that that um, sixth sense or fifth sense or whatever it is to um to to help people because you're really stuck there, right, in the middle right. of everything. And um, depending on on your makeup, that can be really, really, really difficult. And and it's really, really inspiring and fun too. But yeah, you need to be you need to be a strong observer <laughs> and, and bite your tongue sometimes.
1: It it is, that, and that's a good topic for us to tee up sometime too. Just talk about what what is it like to be managing that. Kind of in the middle. It's the picture of the bicycle wheel, right? We are yep. the axle and all the spokes. But.
2: I call it the beautiful mess. That's what—that's <laughs> my thing lately. When people try to say that you know, structure it or you know, add too much process to it, I'm just like, this is a beautiful mess. So you just yeah. have to accept that. Some
1: of you have to roll with. It's a wave. Okay. I appreciate that. I always like to just get some perspective why people do product management, what they love about that. When it comes to time management, you know, all of us have 24 hours in a day where that's a reality, but we often want more. I I hear people express it that way, especially product managers that say, you know, I never have enough time to do such and such, right? I never have enough time to work with sales or to interact with the customer or to work with the engineering team, whatever that is. And more than anything, it's probably the single complaint about just how to manage time, right? Second up is the more specific one, which is I want more time with the customer. <laughs>
2: uh, that's often what
1: I hear too. But w- what's your perspective on the importance of managing time as a product manager?
2: It's funny. Like I say that a huge part of the role is communication mm-hmm. and then to un- unlock that and to be a great communicator, a-, a large part of that is time management. I mean, you, ne- you need to be able to connect with people and you need to have the information to communicate, obviously, but- if you're, if you're running around, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off all the time and you're in a very reactive mode, you're, you're jumping between things and, and, and being really just buried down in the weeds, you're never going to be very effective at communicating. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you see great communicators basically fall apart if they're not managing their time well, because they, you know, if, and, and, and I just use myself as, as an example. I mean, when I I'm pretty good at organizing information and doing stuff like that. But if I'm too rushed, I just persuade myself I can wing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and you know what? It is not as good when I wing it. It, it. If I just give 15 minutes or 30 minutes of deeper work and activity to prepare that and kind of check what I'm thinking and could I say this in fewer words or am I going to you know kind of rile people up with that too much? That's invaluable. And, and myself, when I, when I didn't leave myself time to do that, like the results, you know, the mm. results would suffer and, and my relationships would suffer with my teammates. So, it's incredibly important.
1: Yeah. It's that combination of things that you have to be a good communicator, effective with people that requires some emotional intelligence as well. And as you said, not in a reactive state all the time. And right. a lot of product managers, you know, I, I talk to and uh, they they will say, I don't know what I'm going to do today, right? I'm going to show up at work because <laughs> every day is a little bit different. There's things I'm reacting to, and that's kind of has what their work day has become. And they do less planning because they know they just need to be reactive. Uh, right. Probably not the best place for us to be. So let's dive into some specifics, uh, tools that listeners can have to take away, t- to think about, this is how I can have a little bit more control over my time. This is how I can get some of my time back to use in more productive ways. All kinds of tips I know you have talked about before. Give us one, we'll start there and we'll uh, get through what others we have time for.
2: Well, one, one very actionable thing is to think about your opportunities to meet with people. Um, not so much, like a lot of people get stuck in structuring all their meetings. Like for example, you know, this is a sync meeting about X and this is a thing about Y. And, and, and they basically create these agendas for these meetings And they drive the agenda, the agenda becomes the cornerstone for that particular meeting. Mm -hmm. And then they pull people in. And and what I've noticed there is it's like the classic thing, the work fills the available space, the agenda fills the available space. And so another way to think of it is I, I need to get these circles of people together at a cadence and then create a dynamic agenda for that circle of people based on what's the most important thing that that circle of people need to think about and communicate. And so it seems. This seems like such a no-brainer. And you know, is there even a difference? And I would contend that there is very much a difference. So if I do something like you know weekly product update, and there's a circle of you know people that I invite in, and I try to make a big ritual of that, and I spend an hour beforehand, and you know, let's say there's not very much, there's not a lot of information to update people on that week, or there's a much more pressing issue that that the team has to really dig into, or you know, there's there's another issue. I should really be free to repurpose that. And and so this, again, it seems minor, but when I've coached PMs to think about the circles of people that they need to communicate with first and getting them in the right room and then leaving the agendas more open, people can suggest things for the agenda. You know, uh, basically adaptable agenda fixed circles of people at cadence groups of, uh, you know, cadence types of meetings. That's one actionable thing that that teams can do right away to to kind of decrease the meeting overload and then also help deal with the the most important thing at the moment. It's it's always crazy to me when I see uh you know a product manager's calendar and it's completely filled with things and I'll say well what's most important right now and they say well I, you know I really need to do a bunch of customer calls because you know that that's the most important thing right now we're missing information and data. Oh but oh but I have no time to do it. Well you know, and 90% of their week has already been dictated by their Mm -hmm. commitments to these sort of standing meetings.
1: Yeah, we get overwhelmed overwhelmed with the standing meetings. I want to dive into this a bit more because I'm not sure I'm clear and I suspect there might be some listeners going, but agendas are the way that you make
2: meetings work. Oh, this is a hybrid a little bit. What what I'm trying to say is is that you're like, yeah, the the agenda is, you know, instead of uh, the, the idea is like fixed group of people, variable agenda, but you establish the agenda before. It's not like you walk into the meeting without an agenda and say, okay, I've got you all here. And now what are we doing? Mm -hmm. What it is, is I've got the right group of people in the room. And the most important thing that this group of people needs to tackle is X. And the second most is why. So hopefully, hopefully that's a little bit more clear now. Like I, I do believe in agendas and I do believe in having like, you know, meeting rigor and things like that. And and it is actually makes you a lot more effective from a time management perspective to, to have that in your meetings. But, but the idea that you, you commit yourself to some kind of update to some group of people and then go through the motions Mm -hmm. each week is, is, uh, you know, can can not make the best use of your time, right? Think. Right,
1: and that approach is more people focused than meeting focused. I think sometimes meetings kind of become the central thing. We lose track of right. why we're having meetings. Yeah. Um, one organization I know, I've used this example before. All their meetings are optional, and it's up mm. to, uh, what, what they say is uh, is up for the person who calls the meeting to convince the people why
2: they should be there. And if you don't want to yeah. come, then don't come. Right, it's the so, law of two feet. <laughs> and people can walk out yeah, if, right. if they want to do it. Right, That's so. That sends a good message. I think that the nice thing actually about that fixed group of people, variable agendas is that, is that if you have the, you know, the agenda emerges in the, the interim between these particular meetings, mm-hmm. and if you look at that agenda and say, well, I, d- I really don't need to be there at that moment for that particular set of discussions, then that gives you that advance notice to right. kind of to jump out. But, but you know, and, and if you're done in 30 minutes, because there's only one really important thing that people need to talk about, instead of... Spending the and and this kind of go and there's another element to this is that the product managers, I always talk about what I call PIP, promises in progress. Okay. And promise, you know, we tend to product managers tend to think about maybe the work in progress, you know, like what what what's the team working on right now? But if you hear their communication across the organization, they're making promises to people left and right and center. Oh, I'll look into that for you. Or oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, my example is the great idea problem. You know, the 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 VP of product is walking down the hall, and then they look at you and then they say, "You know, I've been thinking. You know that what you you mentioned that before. That was a great idea." And then walks off into the distance. Right. And like, what do you do, do, do if, with that? if you're the senior product manager? And you're like, Are they thinking that I should follow up on that? Is that a and and it sits in your head. And what that's what it it sounds it doesn't promise sounds like a powerful word, but maybe you've promised to yourself to follow up on that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there was a tacit promise between you and the VP in the right. hall there that you were gonna look more into it. And you have to be ruthless about, you know, I, I'd say that trust is built by small promises regularly held. And so, right. it, you know, and they've actually done research on this, that keeping a huge promise that spanned eight months versus a bunch of small promises, you actually build more trust by keeping a bunch of small promises. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, like long-term marriages that people might, I don't know, there might be some questions about how that fits into personal life, but, but, um, so anyway, that I, I bring that back to time management because you need to be, ruthless about limiting your promises and progress. And that's hard because you think that that's what being proactive is about. But if you can keep the, if you keep the flow of kept promises going, you'll actually establish more trust and get more done. So I, I think that that's like a, limiting promises and progress and work in progress are some of the number one ways you can manage your time.
1: Okay. There's a really important insight there that I don't want to let go by and make sure I got this right too. Because part of that was being ruthless about basically about saying no. Right, yeah. About what we don't follow up on and what we're not going to pursue, and we get those requests sometimes hundreds, you know, in a week. Exactly. <laughs> and at the good same idea. time, yeah, exactly. What does that mean? So, uh, you know, well, is now the person expecting you to do something with that? Good idea. If that's what you say. And at the same time, what I heard you didn't say this, but the way I took this was being really visible about the promises you are committing to and taking action on. And you're absolutely okay. right. I, I've been part of some of that research, too, to to look into how do you develop trust in virtual teams? And yeah. a key thing is you follow through on what you said you're going to do, right? Yep. Yeah. And they don't have to be big things. They just have to be, oh, he, he said he delivered that thing, right? Yep. Yeah. So making that more visible so people are building trust with you, and at the same time, you got to be ruthless about what you say no to.
2: Right. I think the thing that also, you know, this there's a lot of parallels to work too. And that I, I mentioned like the flow of kept promises. And so, you know, I'd use the analogy of like an organization where, you know, let's say that there's some kind of uprising in an organization. They say, well, this process is messed up. And a senior leader says, we're going to look into it. And then like months go by and, you know, like one or two people are fired and no one knows what's going on. And then there's no communication about that thing. Mm-hmm. That is a big batch promise with no incremental promises kept <laughs> right? along the way. And so, you know, better for that leader would be like, you know, the, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a quick pass bit of research and look into it and kind of get back to you all with like three, or f- three to five observations about what we've, what we've seen in this and, and kind of build it that way. I think that one, one other element of this too is understanding the promises you can keep versus can't. So if you're new to this and you think that you're going to be able to like control complexity and make promises and type that type of predictability, you're going to, you're in for like a, a, a big surprise. Like you're not going to be able to keep those promises. Like, you know, I I see this a lot when they talk about teams having accountability or keeping their commitments, it's commitment to what, and if the commitment is to just be a great communicator and communicate progress, that's very different than the commitment to say, of course, we're going to get this done in three weeks. Right. You know, so you've also got to be, wa- and, and I, I would say that this is actually goes back to time management because if you're going to manage your time, you need to be good at, at making promises that you can keep uh-huh. and, and know kind of generally yourself, like the commitment level for keeping that promise. If, you know, it's sort of like someone saying, oh yeah, could you run that report for me? And, 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 you know you say yes of course and then 6 hours later you know with mountains of messy data and and stuff you're still sitting there in excel like with you know cleaning the data yourself you made a commitment to something that that was out of your league right and that that could take your whole day as a product manager oh you know the vp said do this and i spent all day trying to produce this report so they could put it in a deck and frankly they were going to just skim over that slide anyway uh-huh. you know so so i think it's you know it's a little bit about like um learning to keep promises that you can keep and and knowing the effort involved with keeping it. So it sounds basic, but it's hard. It's a real
1: challenge and it depends on that power imbalance too with who's asking. And, you know, not, not everyone who's asking is as understanding about what's required for some things. And, you know, others have said that when the senior leader comes by, whether it's coming from the CEO or someone on on the executive team, you know, one sentence from them can cause two months of work for the product team.
2: Oh yeah, and and, and as and as every product manager too, you know, you know, hey, do you, uh, oh, while you're at it, I, I mean, I have these couple of things that <laughs> it, it's funny because it's like we fall into the traps over and over again. And I made this list like when you hear beware, mm-hmm. and I just sent it out to people, and it was just like, and one of them was, hey, it might be a great idea, like if we are, or, or another one was while we're at it, okay, or uh, you know, there, there's these things that you hear that you can just pattern match against and say, Oh, there I go. I'm falling into that. Right. So, you know, like when you find yourself working on something and you find yourself saying, Oh, Oh, well, while I'm at it, uh, you know, the, the idea is that you're like, well, I'm already deep in this context while I'm deep in this context, of course I should spend the, the next two hours because that's way more efficient. Right. But, but you're going to spend the next two hours. You know, so you've got to be pretty like ruthless about mm-hmm. like th- those heuristics for your time yeah. um, the the best pms I know like really have that level of discipline too where they you know they um, the, my friend Matt Cropper has a tr- as a ritual where from nine to nine forty five every morning is only deep sense making work asking the core questions, not following up on email, not like mm-hmm. doing that it's all about making sure that he's oh, he's crystal clear if What he's doing right now is aligned. And if there's any gaps, the next step to ask that person about that context. And you would say, well, why does anyone need to do that every day? I mean, that's insane. But he blocks out the time because he knows in the short term it feels, uh, you know, inefficient. But he knows that in the long term, it's almost counterintuitive that that's going to give him better results from, from a time management perspective and then also from a product perspective.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot to be said about uh, there, there's principles out there about that first half hour in the morning. How do you use yep. that to enrich yourself and to prepare for the day? And a similar sort of idea. And a lot of our time problems as product managers comes from not really knowing what we should be doing at any given time in a development right. project. And that's really important to get our hands around what is most important, right? Like there are times when it's really important to be in touch with the customer if we're trying to ideate and get new ideas for the next version of the product or a new product, obviously. And there's times when we need to be looking at the competitor and understanding our place in the landscape and what we're doing next and understanding where we are is really important.
0: Hey, Dad, I think you should interrupt this interview to tell your listeners something important. Oh, what's that? You should tell them about your new mini-course. Oh, okay. What do you suggest? You could interview yourself.
1: (laughs) Okay, how would that work?
0: It would go like this. Hi, Chad. Tell me about your new mini-course. Thanks for asking, Chad. I just published the second edition of my book, Turning Ideas into Market-Winning Products. The mini-course covers some of the key ideas from the book. Brilliant! What sort of ideas? You'll discover what to do as a product developer, manager, and innovator, methods for finding and testing ideas that lead to valuable products customers love, how to really use the minimal viable product approach, and much more. Splendid! Is it free? Yes, it is, and you don't need the book to get value from the mini-course. Capital! How much time do I need to complete the course? I made it short. Each lesson is only five minutes, and you'll receive a new lesson every two days in your email box. Wow! Where can I get it? Just head over to www.TheEverydayInnovator.com slash book. Huzzah! What was that again? www. TheEverydayInnovator.com slash book.
1: Um, there's just one problem. I can't speak with an English accent.
0: Oh, no problem. I'll do it for you.
1: <laughs> there's a, a, something you, I want to just go back to. You talked about this beware list. Is that something you'd be willing to share? I think that's... Oh, really yeah, I, I can
2: find it. I think it, it's called something like when you hear, pay attention or mm-hmm. something. And, and I, will, um, I will Google it because the only way... Now that I seem to have lost all my sort of memory capabilities, like I don't remember, I have to like Google to find my own posts. There's 500 of them out there. And you so are I, a
1: relatively I, new dad.
2: I, yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> seven, it's not, yeah, 16, 17 months, but still. Yeah, I, I will, I will hit Google and then search for my own post and then be able to send it to you. So
1: awesome. That'd be great. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And I think that would be a good, good list for people to think through about. Oh, when I hear that or when I tell myself that, I, I should take a, take pause.
2: I'm really into these intuition trap ideas. Like I write these things like, you know, we think this goes faster, but this is faster mm-hmm. or intuition says, but instead try. Like, I think that that it's so important to kind of, and and I'm not terribly creative at coming up with them. I'm, I do come up with them, but I do facilitate exercises with teams where we tease out what they see as the intuition traps. And and they're always better than mine and, and are, you know, perfectly good lists that they have. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that, having, having those heuristics in front of you to just keep reminding is, is a way that you can, you know, like we have a, we have a team at Amplitude and, you know, they, they have these three questions that they ask every day about what they're doing. And some of it's related to like, are we doing the most impactful work and, Mm. and learning and do this. And, you know, you might say like someone would argue like, oh, only a crappy team would, would go five days after all that planning. And then on the sixth day, figure out that they were not doing the most impactful work, but they're a really good team and it happens. You get mm-hmm. more information back, you get more data back, you get more things. There wasn't the shared understanding you thought there were. And on numerous occasions, just that little question has you know, forced them to go back to the drawing board and, and they were able to defeat sunk cost bias and right. you know, recheck what they're doing.
1: Right. And understand that is important because I bet for every listener listening, there's a company behind them that likely has a failed product in their past that right. might, may or may not be known about. And often they're really big, <laughs> big projects. And if anyone's doing scrum sort of work has killed a sprint, right? Yep. It's like, Oh man, that that was the wrong set of things that we need to be working on right now.
2: Okay. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, that type of um, one thing that one question or point you made a little while ago reminded me of something too, about like, how do you reorient yourself uh-huh. on a constant basis? And I think that, you know, one one thing I've seen teams do successfully is to have like a learning backlog. Hmm. And, and it's kind of like the questions they need to answer right now. And then they dot vote. What's the most important question. And they bring questions in progress and then they devise experiments and, and research ideas to answer those questions. And, and I think it's a mistake. You know, there's, there's some folks, especially in the agile community that say, well, just build something. And that's the only way you're going to answer those questions. And And I don't, think that's true. I think that, right. that is good for a certain class of questions, but not all questions. And so I think that just that artifact about bringing, it's kind of like the promises in progress. It's the same thing. These are questions in progress. Uh-huh. And, and just realizing that like right now our questions about the competitive ecosystem are more important than our, our the unknown right now about the question about our customers, which happens frankly to a lot of great products that I know that Again, people get kind of confused. They've got this amazing product, but there's bets about the competitive landscape that aren't working in their favor. Mm-hmm. That's the most important question right now. So that's another thing that, you, that PMs get kind of lost in all their exploratory work and they feel like they're playing whack-a-mole. But that could be another way that a, a a PM could ground their research efforts in, in something and make it visible so the whole team understands right. that that's the area you're focusing your research efforts mm-hmm. on. Or, or your question efforts.
1: And that's a great discussion to have, right? That, that's a good reason to have right, a, exactly. a circle that helps you with learning and improving process and people to get together, think about, okay, what are the bigger perspectives that we need to be considering right now? What are the big why questions that we should be asking ourselves
2: right. to help us just improve what we do together? I've noticed that people have, I think part of it is understanding the diversity of kind of thinking models and and preferences when it comes to this stuff too because i think as a as a product manager especially you're trying to motivate other people to do this type of thinking and keep mm-hmm. aligned you know you you tend to think that everyone only thinks the way you think you know right. and so like i love big why statements up on the wall you know like i like being faced with that uncertainty because i need to be reminded of it every second but then i would get kind of feedback from a team that like you know we don't we don't need to see on the wall that the ship is like like potentially sinking every mm-hmm. second like actually this sort of very you know non interesting are we getting x done and y done and what's this next milestone is actually interesting to us right and so i think that this happens a lot in you know this happens a lot in different communities but it 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 happens where people impose their mindset as being the only mindset all the time to help everyone achieve the same thing they're looking to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to understand there's diversity there.
1: That's certainly a good point. You know, everyone has different perspectives and recognizing that and what is motivating to individuals about their work and how they contribute is really important for us as product managers to take into
2: account too. Yeah. We're kind of designing, I I have pre, some say kind of extreme views, but I mean, my, my view of product management is that we are, we're responsible for, fostering an environment where the best decisions can emerge reasonably quickly. Huh. And so we, and, and we wear multiple hats. So we, we also wear a subject matter expert hat who might be able to make those decisions sometimes, mm-hmm. or we sometimes wear an, a subject matter expert hat that can supply the context necessary for those decisions. And then sometimes, yeah. frankly, we have neither. It's, it's right. an unknown thing. Like these are decisions that, um, you know, we don't know much about at the moment. And, you know, this idea of this kind of rock star PM who can do it all and is the very like the, you know, definitive decision maker and kind of sees the future and is great at strategy and great at navigating teams and, you know, can just do it all. Like, I think that that overburdens people. Mm -hmm. No, like, no, there are a couple people like that and and frankly they're they're generalists too so so there's not the, the, this is not the ultimate persona we should all try to be like we are all kind of t-shaped to some element and right. so you know i think that this kind of goes back to the the time management thing too because if you try to be amazing at all things and do all the things instead of thinking about like where do i provide the most context to the team and uh-huh. this goes to like connecting with customers you can create busy work to the cows come home but if you're not um If you're a great example is the time spent after a customer interview or call synthesizing information in a thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I'm so busy. I'm out there talking with customers. I did 10 customer calls in the last three days. And, and then, you know, I'll say, well, where's the synthesis? Like, what did you learn? What, what, what uncertainty were you trying to reduce? Oh, I talked to 10 customers. And then, well, what are you thinking? And then they go to like the last call the most salient like request. And then they say, well, obviously we need to build this. Or they, they, they went into those calls with, with a hypothesis and they're just confirming it the whole time. And so that's an example of where, you know, time from a time management perspective, I don't believe those 10 calls were high leverage. Mm -hmm. You didn't spend the time synthesizing your findings and you didn't start those 10 calls trying to de-bias yourself. So you know, I, I forget exactly how we got into that, but I think yeah. it's about being being deliberate and uh, deliberate about what you're doing and what what you're capable of doing, mm-hmm. and and how does that feed into the overall decision making capability of the people around you?
1: Yeah, leveraging your skills and strengths, and for me, that goes back to what you're just saying about the interviews. Also, recognizing where are you in the in the course of the project right now that that product right. development. What is it you need to find out? If you're having customer calls, why are you feeling like you need to do that? Do you really need to do it now? The answer is probably yes, because we always, right. always, never do enough. But why? What is it we're trying to uncover now? Right. And you're right; uh, eliminating bias is a big part of that. One final question on, on this topic, and I know we're getting close on time here. How, how do you think vision fits into all of this? Because a lot of things that we've talked about, I kept having this this light bulb in my head about. Well, vision would help direct us towards that, right? It would kind of be our northern star to help us make help us go the right direction, spend our time maybe a little bit more efficiently what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that I, I ponder a lot lately, just that this is all a kind of big fractal mess, basically. And, and all these things, these concepts that we have are linked together, and then the team has their own perspective, and everyone has their own beliefs. And so, you know, vision to me is a story that we tell each other a lot, and that we're starting to believe more and more. And then maybe we have data to believe. So we're creating, you know, uh, Yuval Harari wrote Sapiens has this this idea that like humans create stories mm-hmm. and the most effective stories are things around like money and certain like political ideas and certain things that means that we don't need to rehab that story, uh, retell that story over, And it lets us transact business or relationships or trust between people and, and things. And, and, you know, one, one of those story, I don't know, he goes into it, but the idea is we tell certain stories about other people and, that's why I go to a train station in, 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 in a certain city and I'm not like worried about getting pickpocketed. Like I'm, I, I've told myself some stories, set of stories that allow me to transact business in my environment without being completely paranoid all the time. Uh-huh. Anyway, kind of so bringing it back to vision is I think that by all means, having like a common vocabulary and a common story between the people involved will help you transact decisions and transact. Sense, uh, you know, you've got it. We both, there's so much tacit understanding between us is that we're able to function in a more kind of networked, less controlled kind of way, and that will allow us to make better decisions. Uh-huh. So I think that it, it really, and, and back to this idea of managing your time, if that vision is in place, and, you know, it's Amplitude, we have, we teach this North Star framework thing, and the idea is you come up with a North Star that's like a leading indicator of long term success of your company. You have a couple inputs together. This is like your mental model of product success in a way, and you're testing it all the time. But it persists long enough for you to use it as a kind of decision making framework. Okay, and we get you know we use it in Amplitude, our, our North Star's weekly learning users, which is tells you a lot about our product. We want people to learn, not just run a report and send it off to their boss. Like this is for teams working in the trenches, learning every day. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself is a great guiding mechanism for everyone in the company. Like if it's not going to help people learn, and if it's not going to help people increase weekly learning users or the various inputs we're doing, it's probably not the best um, approach. Another example on our marketing team, you know, we've got these personas um, and we've, yeah, it's oversimplified. You know, there's the pioneer and the architect, the data architect, governor, and the pioneer who wants to be impact driven in organizations. Is that an oversimplification? Yes um is our you know north star of stage 2 pipeline opportunities a simplification yes but but the extent to which those crystallize our vision at the mm-hmm. like of the personas and and what we're shooting for as a marketing team helps us make yeah. better time management decisions right
1: right yeah so you, you need guardrails to know where you should be going and not going and yeah. something that everyone's working towards and test the that vision helps.
2: i mean i think that this is a funny thing people say to me like well what if our strategy is changing all the time and and to which i say well Okay, um, I don't know. I don't want to judge. That could be good. That could be bad. Like maybe it should. Maybe it should change. Maybe you've learned something. But but if strategy and and that vision stuff is changing every day, every week, based on the current flavor of the month, or like what the what the board has told you that quarter, and that's what I see a lot. You know, the, the, there's a big board meeting. They meet with the board, come back, and now everything's sort of shifted because one right. board member said, "Oh, you sh- you all should look into blank." Right. And, and I would say then that, like, if your North Star is shifting <laughs> all the time, that's, that's a, a, at least maybe once you come out of the startup stage, when you've, you're really trying to maybe find some, you know, kernel with your product, it to me, that's symptomatic of some other issue yeah. that
1: needs to be addressed. Yeah, it depends on the stage of the company, but it should yeah. not be going
2: on long. Yeah.
1: Okay, this is good. So, we got some good specific tips about controlling our time a little bit. Some of this is just being more aware that we can be more proactive. And we don't have to be as reactive as we may be, and take control of that a little bit. And I really like what you said about promises and making sure you're visual about the promises you are keeping. And we got to be judicious about what we're saying no to and know why we're saying no. As listeners know as well, I like innovation quotes, and I uh, asked for you to bring one to us. Tell us what
2: you got. I I'm so tired and sleep deprived with the kid (laughs) that that I I couldn't I couldn't come up with one. I I. I, I was, it's, I'm terrible at this stuff. Cause it's just like you, when you read a lot of these things, I'm, I'm such like a kid in the candy store and then, mm-hmm. Oh, I really like what that person was talking about. Um, I don't know. I was listening to a podcast this morning on knowledge project where it was an author talking about, it was a really amazing story. And he basically said for 20 years, he was a book reviewer hmm. and had reviewing a lot of books and, and writing book reviews and doing these things. And he, had, he was, he had tried to write like 10 books and it never succeeded. And then finally, he heard an uh, an author got up, and this was a great story. And the author sort of slammed on the table when someone asked, "How do you write a novel?" And the person just said, "Just do it and get out there and write and and get the thing." And then and then that person went home that day and started the process of writing. You know, a number of best selling books. Hmm. And so you have I don't to write. Yeah, you you just write. You have to you have to practice. And I think I think the reason why that that. That And there's, you know, this is not a new idea. There's the book, you know, the, the, the art of motorcycle maintenance. And then there's other book about Zen, you know, that kind of, uh, the art, the war of art or the art of war or something like that, where it's talking about being an artist and how hard that is. And you just got to show up, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a really good book, but I think that as it relates to product teams, people, people say, well, why don't you try this new practice or why don't you do this new thing? And, and, and it's as if you can just kind of learn it one day. You know, like, oh, oh, everyone's doing a three horizon model. Well, if we can just learn your three horizon model, everything's going to be fine. And what they don't realize is that almost all these things are just potential thought models and they're ways of Mm sense-making. And the real work is the repetition and building the muscle and doing it. And, And a great example of that, there's this big talk lately about, you know, outcomes over outputs. And what I thought was really funny is yeah, that's kind of okay, it's neat to focus on outcomes not outputs, but the 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 void is not in CEOs thinking I talked to a CEO the other day and he said, "Do, do you think that we don't care about outcomes? You, do you legitimately think that all we care is about outputs? Of course we care about business outcomes. It's like we're I'm the CEO of the company. Right. I care about outcomes. No one is talking me through the day-to-day actions and inputs. That the team needs to. What are you proposing that they do differently in the day to day? That will then lead to better decisions, which will lead to to different outputs, which will lead to different outcomes, and then different longer term benefits. And it was actually really telling for me that you know I, I'm a big you know, don't do the feature factory outcomes over outputs person, but he's right. He was challenging me to say like, what must the team practice and do day in day out? What muscle should they build to get those results? And so these, this sounds kind of like I just figured it out today, but it's been stewing for a while, but hearing this quote about the writer and then thinking about my own experience recently with being challenged with that question really made that quote resonate for me.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And I appreciate your transparency on that. Coming up with a quote was challenging, but you still pulled <laughs> through there. And to me, that notion of just right is we, we need the experience with anything to get better at it. And it is like yeah. building a muscle, right? You yeah. build habits, you build new disciplines. It your takes intuition 12 expands. to months.
2: I, I mean, there's a company here in Santa Barbara that hires a lot of UCSB students and their first job in software engineering or in product. Mm-hmm. And in general, you know, it took it takes 12 to 24 months. You know, the engineering part's actually not the problem there, but they've got that part. But working as a team and yeah. and encountering all these different shapes of work and all the little nuts and bolts and talking to customers and doing that, like that's not something that you just, you know, snap your fingers one day. Right. But, through, but through a lot of practice and repetition, 12 to 24 months later, these engineers and designers and folks are are the types of teams that a product manager can just paint the problem area Mm -hmm. and then step back and that team is going to pretty much go for it. it. You know, so it's all it's, and, and I think about it in terms of reps it's not 12 to 24 months is not the issue. It's a cadence versus Mm -hmm. velocity question. It's number of times through the build measure learn loop that allow them to do that. And so that's another, you know, Yeah, manage your time so that you get through the build, measure, learn loop as many times Mm -hmm. as possible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because that builds up the habits and
2: and builds that muscle.
1: Very good. How can listeners find out about the work that you're doing
2: and any resources you want to point them to? I mean, I am pretty time crunched. Like Twitter is a good way, although the Twitter direct messages thing has just become overwhelming recently. So I think Twitter is a good way if you kind of want to keep in the loop about what I've been writing and maybe we can interact there and then, then we mm-hmm. could arrange direct message or something like that. Uh, LinkedIn is a fire hose. You know, that's very, very difficult. Um, I work at a company called Amplitude as mentioned. And so you could email me. My email is John period Cutler at amplitude.com. I, I like getting those emails um, for this work related stuff now. And um, yeah, you can, mm-hmm. you, you medium, you can read the stuff. There's the posts are up there. And,
1: Great. Okay. Yeah. I will put links to all that onto the show notes. So, it's easier for everyone to find. I appreciate the insights. Time, we all have the same amount, but none of us have enough. So, uh,
2: yeah. Uh, I'll leave leave one thought with people is that the next time that you get caught in the trap of thinking you can divide up people's time in times of percentages, you know, like the team is going to work, you know, 25% on that, 30% on this and the Mm -hmm. remainder of the time. Just ask yourself what you're willing to give yourself and your team the first hour of the day to do. Hmm. And you'll notice that time doesn't work the way in terms of percentages, right? It's like, mm-hmm. when are you able to bring your best energy to the time available? Right. And what are you going to give that time to? And then you start to rethink how to do it. So I'll leave, I'll leave people with that thought experiment.
1: Well, that's a good thought experiment. How to structure our time. What's that best hour of the day, first yeah. hour of the day?
2: Because <laughs> you're going to get five times more done that day. So that's, that's your 10x engineer is the person who has coffee and shows up with that hour with the right intent. So
1: Excellent. Thanks, John. Appreciate your time.
2: Sure thing. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where we learn as product leaders and managers to make that move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence to create products that customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with John at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 245. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.